1: A quick warning that the following episode contains themes of rape and suicide. Hello and welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common. Go head to head to see which one does it better. And welcome to part two of this week's Clash. So on Monday, we spent the show in the southern states of the US on the run with Butch and Sundance. And today, the running continues as Susan Sarandon and Gina Davis are chased across America by the law in 1991's Thelma and Louise. Thelma and Louise are going fishing. How come dare I let you go? Because I didn't ask him. <laughs> He's going to kill you. I left him a note. Thelma and Louise are going to catch
0: hell. I'll have a wild turkey straight up and a Coke back, please. Thelma. Oh, what? Tell me something. Is this my vacation or isn't it? We'll be drinking margaritas by the sea, mamacita. woo
1: We'll have a winner at the end of the show. But which film will it be? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles.
0: Release the Kraken.
1: Hello, Clash Butters! You finally got laid properly. I'm so proud. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crompton. I'm Chris Tilly, <laughs> and joining us again, it's wonderful to falter A uh, wonderful, it is wonderful to, <laughs> to have her in the studio. Film critic, broadcaster, and host of the feminist film podcast, Girls on Film, currently presented the BBC News Film Review Show. I tried to say it too fast. Welcome again, Anna
3: Smith. <laughs> Thank hey, you so much for Anna. having me back. It's great to be here.
1: Uh, so we went through Butch and Sundance on Monday, and today, this Thursday, how happy are you to be talking about Thelma and Louise?
3: Extremely happy, and a lot happier. Even happier, even happier <laughs> okay. than I was talking about. But oh. as you may gather, <laughs>
1: okay, I'm excited. I'm excited. Uh, so let uh, a so reminder, ourselves. Victoria's choices. Why put this pairing together?
3: I'm. I'm not going
4: to hold my cards close to my chest. Put, hold them. Hold them. No, It'll sitting right there, he'll get livid if you. No, I think it's fine. All okay. right, I it. really, really, really love this film. Yeah, and if this one means a lot to me, and so I wanted to do it here with friends and have an expert. <laughs> And someone else on my team, so. Uh,
0: whoa! <laughs> hey, so she's whoa, implying no. a that
5: we're not experts, right. and b oh, that no, we're not. Are you no, no, drawing that. the That's gender lines sorry, down I, I the studio? I
1: <laughs> thought I'd get an expert in for no, one. Sorry, I definitely <laughs> <laughs> <didn't mean that. laughs> on um, your side.
4: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I do mean that. Oh really? Wow. <laughs> yeah, and so yeah, we so we retrofitted it a bit because I wanted to do this film, I couldn't think what to put it with, but Chris came mm. up with a with what I believe
1: is a good pairing. So you love this film, huh?
4: I really love this film. Sorry. Do you want to
1: just do the verdict now (laughs) and then we'll talk about the film?
4: Ian, I just, I mean, what's the point? I'm not a very good uh, actor
1: pretending that I don't love it. All right. Very quickly, if you haven't subscribed to us, uh, if you'd be kind enough to do that, on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, it would be massively appreciated by the three of us. Uh, If you are able to give us a little rating and review, that would be awesome as well. And if you give us a review, it might be read out on the show by Chris Tilly, a.k.a. Chris Thrilly, which sounds a bit like this. Jay Post-Humpus
5: writes, Hmm. Uh, this podcast has legit got me through COVID lockdowns. Uh, the best thing about it is trying to work out if Alex and Chris actually hate each other.
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, it's Jay, let's answer that together. Jay,
5: uh, no, you're very perceptive as the reason I recently recorded a couple of shows remotely was because we couldn't bear to be in the same
4: room as each other.
1: <laughs>
0: that a is of a cooling fa-
1: off time. That is a fact. <laughs> no, let's do it really. On the count of three three, two, one, hate. no. <laughs> oh. <laughs> idiot (laughs) it was a yes no question anyway (laughs) all right then on monday i use the word super posse as much as possible and today it's chris's turn to be super bossy as he's our guide through thelma and louise chris takes on a journey going to be honest here.
5: I wrote a synopsis for this movie that focused on Hal Slocum, the put-upon detective whose (laughs) compassion for an an unrepentant murderer and an unremorseful armed robber very nearly saved them from their cells, implying that Thurma and Louise were minor characters in a movie about a man. But then I realised that while reading those words out, I'd be feeling Vicky's eyes burning into my skull. Uh, So I deleted that synopsis and replaced it with the description from the back of the video cover which I think you'll agree nicely sums up Thurma and Louise. Fasten your seatbelts because two of Hollywood's hottest stars are taking it out on the road in a high-speed adventure that bristles with thrilling, life-affirming energy for which the best road movies are remembered. Not my words, the words of MGM, so job done. (laughs) (laughs) So, Anna, when did you first watch the and Louise?
3: I watched it when it came out in the Hyde Park Cinema in Leeds with oh. my then-boyfriend, Rob. And we normally sat around with his stoner mates watching horror movies. And I was actually required to watch this for my gender and popular culture course um, as part of my English degree. So I we went, right, we're going to watch this film. We both absolutely loved it. And the atmosphere in that place, it's a really lovely little cinema, which I think is still sort of being rebranded at the moment, but it's still around. Really nice art house cinema. And nobody knew what to expect at all. And it was a really mixed crowd of people, full cinema, um, really amazing atmosphere. Lots of laughter. Applause, I believe. You know, it's hard to remember exactly because it's a long time ago, but I remember it being a wonderful cinematic experience.
5: Awesome, because knowing you've seen it in the cinema, I actually have questions for, about certain scenes about what it was like seeing it with an audience that year. Yep. Not knowing what was yeah, coming. Yeah. So I we'll get to The
1: Hyde Park Cinema. I didn't know. Did you study in Leeds? I did. Then? Yeah, oh, I was wow. Uni. Yeah. yeah. I grew up there. So I, the Hyde Park Cinema. Is it closed then? Is it being...
3: Well, I think it's now a picture house. But when I looked on their website today, mm-hmm. they said they're refurbing it, I think. But okay. um, but yeah, it's still around because it's a lovely cinema, isn't it? Lovely yeah. cinema. Oh, cool. What happened to Rob? I think he got married and had kids. We Facebooked about a few years ago. That's a shame, I think That's fine. the sort of
4: thing. If you both love that film, yeah. then the best thing is like, and
3: then we... I, I'm sure he would agree that we both, it was right that we went our separate ways. Okay, and fine. Very this happy film wasn't a glue wow.
0: They held <laughs> you together. Yeah, yeah, no. Vicky got I, I, very personal,
4: right? <laughs> I know you I love this movie. <laughs> I, I understand
1: you love this movie, but there is a line in the sand.
4: <laughs> about what it can do.
1: Yeah. <laughs> right. So, wait, hang on. How, how, how did you watch it together and not remain together? <laughs> forever
5: <laughs> <laughs> uh, Vicky uh, when did you I it?
4: honestly don't remember mm. I don't remember I mean it might have been when it came out how do you not remember I just don't because I've seen it so many times right so I've seen it uh, probably five six seven times um, yeah I don't I remember Like it's one that I like to revisit because my emotions change as I get older and watch it yeah honestly just I don't have a, a good story, um, but yeah, I found it, you know, the first time. I mean, still, I mean, I laugh, I cry, I punch the air, I jump up and down, like I do all of the emotions with this film. But it was along the journey I've had with this film. When I first saw it, I was seeing it for it. I was like, obviously it blew my mind. And then as I've got older and revisited it, it just made me realise what you can do. You know, it just, it's such an important film for me in that way about writing and how you can, what you can do with characters that you know are real, but you may be told <laughs> sometimes with notes from people that... They, they don't feel real but if you stick to what you believe and you're true to yourself and all of that you can make something that fi- that is authentic while still incredibly entertaining and funny and silly as well actually I, I mean I love it but I'm sensible about it like it's not perfect but you know
1: okay sorry that's such a rambling answer but yeah carry on Alex? Similar story uh, to Vicky, uh, with one uh, caveat. This is the first time I've ever seen it. (laughs) Um... I
4: was mad as hell when you told me that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I've never seen it. Unfortunately, I I think, in all honesty, it would have been nice. It's one of those films that it would have been nice to have seen without knowing the ending, because watching the whole film, knowing what happens at the end... It changes it for you, so you are just waiting for that to happen and you're, you know, I'd have liked to have believed they were going to escape or something or there was going to be a different ending, but I knew it. Um, But yeah, I sort of, I I just remember it mainly from um, all the adverts that for some reason have over the years ripped off the ending, the very emotional ending of Thelma and Louise. They've gone, you know what's going to sell Bing, the Microsoft competitor, to (laughs) Google? It's if we shot for shot recreate the ending of Thelma and Louise but they make the jump.
4: Yeah. Which I think is they've the just element. gone. What do women like? What do women like? What do women like? They like Thelma and the Wheels, actually, <laughs> but just literally do that and then you'll sell anything. It's a really
1: it's a really good there was another one uh where they it was a billboard. I can't remember what it was for, but it was on TV a lot as a kid where they're facing the ravine and they drive and then it turns out it's a billboard and they drive through it and carry on. Oh yeah. That was advertising something else. I couldn't find it on YouTube. I spent a long, lot of time um a lot of time looking for it. But yeah, so first watch is the answer. Fair enough. Um, What's I, the wrong with that? I Why should I have seen it?
4: It's just because it's so well known. It's so... I mean, really, no, I know. That's unfair because there's loads of stuff I haven't seen. But I, I think I was shocked because I thought we'd seen it together. No. And then I asked, and I was like, well, if it wasn't you, sorry, this is weird. if it wasn't you, it was Mark. But it turns out it wasn't Mark either. So... <laughs> so I,
5: it's Hang on. Well, who's the I, third man in your life? <laughs> I was going to say, you're, you're still with Mark. So surely it was Mark you saw it with going well, by that's what I your thought. theory. That's what I
4: thought. We've been together a long time because I thought we'd seen on the Louise together, but Turns out it was his first watch mm-hmm. in the week. I was like,
5: wait, oh no! Oh wait, did, so you, you've, you've did you give him shit as well?
4: <laughs>
5: <laughs> he's not yeah. living. He's not living out over anymore. <laughs> Trouble in paradise. Yeah, this uh, is all
4: based on a lie. Get out!
5: <laughs> I must have seen this when I was about thirteen on video, and I missed the point entirely, as my tiny teenage brain couldn't understand why they ran in the first place, or why they refused to give themselves up, or why they did what they did at the end when there was a perfectly nice cop willing to help them.
0: It, <laughs>
4: Sorry.
5: <laughs> it, it, it didn't feel like Justice and I didn't I just didn't understand it so it was a very different film when I watched it again a few years later yeah. and watching it this week it felt different again um, especially in terms of the screenwriting uh, craft that you mentioned um, Vicky uh, but we'll get into that but yeah so I've been on a journey with this
1: film why literally. didn't they turn themselves
5: into the film <laughs> we'll get into that um, so Going to the beginning, Kali Khoury, the screenwriter, was producing uh, music videos at the time and she wasn't very happy. And the whole idea for Thelma and Louise came to her at once. She said she wrote a note to herself that said, two women go on a crime spree, they're leaving town, both leaving behind their jobs and families, they kill a guy, rob a store and get hooked up with a young guy. Uh, She started writing it in 1988. Uh, She spent four months structuring it and six months writing the script. Uh, She wrote it longhand, then typed it up on a word processor in an office at night. And her plan was to make the film for one million dollars. And I've been watching and reading interviews with her throughout the years since this film came out. And it's sad because she still wonders where she would be and what would have happened if she'd stuck to her guns and got to direct what was her vision. But she also admits that she wouldn't have been able to afford Gina Davis or Susan Sarandon. Or the choppers, or even, as she puts it, Ridley Scott's rain budget. And that's probably true because there's a lot of rain in this film. Uh, But I just thought that was interesting that much as she loves the film and what it brought her, she still wonders where her career would have gone if she'd got to make it. Uh, So Ridley Scott got hold of the script and wanted to produce it. Uh, So his people sent it out to directors. Uh, He met with several Helmers and apparently Richard Donner was the only director who came close to making this film. Mm -hmm. Uh, But also Scott realised he was becoming pigeonholed, uh, making exotic stories in exotic locales and started thinking about making a film about people that was character driven. Um, They took it around town um, and uh, producers were afraid of it. They reckoned the murder made uh, the characters unsympathetic. Uh, Columbia Warner Brothers, 20th Century Fox and Orion all passed on it saying um, that they were uncomfortable with the ending and one producer complained it was just two bitches in a car.
4: Whoa! Whoa! When I'm still surprised. I don't know what's wrong with me. Carry on.
5: Uh, but MGM Pathé got it and uh, they came on board. Because
4: they like bitches. Is that what they say? <laughs> We've got no problem with bitches. Um,
5: and Ridley Scott said at that time he was meeting with actresses and he can't remember who it was, but one of them said, come to your senses, Ridley, and direct this. So he did. Kali Kuri was very protective of her 130 page script Um, so uh, she went through every single line with Ridley Scott and as he puts it uh, he got daily lectures from her concerning what it was about which he said he needed to hear and really helped him on set and Listening to his commentary, his director's commentary on this film, he does it on his own. You really get a sense that he's a good listener, Ridley Scott. Um, He casts correctly and then he listens to the actors and then he really lets them get on with it because the way he talks about the film, he's very focused on visuals.
1: But that's that's his thing, isn't it? It's his thing. Yeah, I mean, I remember interviewing for Exodus and I was like, so why... um... What was it about uh, Joel Edgerton and Christian Bale that made you want to pick them for this movie? And he's like, because they know what the fuck they're doing (laughs) and I can concentrate on every other element of the scene. I don't want to work with an actor and have to go, so this is your motivation. He doesn't give a fuck about that. He's like, just let me do the visual stuff and you do you. I was laughing
5: at one point in the commentary where um, Susan Sarandon's giving a really beautiful performance in front of camera and he's talking about the light bouncing off a chair in the background (laughs) and it's like, wow, that's just how your brain works. I'm trusting what's happening here and I'm getting this. Um, So in terms of that casting, Ridley's agent got it and sent it to Jodie Foster and Michelle Pfeiffer. Would you have liked to see that version of the film? It would have been different. Mm.
3: There are many possible people that could have done it. Didn't they say Goldie Hawn and Meryl Streep as well? Yeah. all probably would have been good yep. but different. I'm yep. glad it ended up the way it did.
5: Yeah, well once he decided to direct it Jodie and Michelle uh, were no longer available. Callie Currie wrote it. She said for Francis McDormand and Holly Hunter Oh, that's nice. Which I could I could see. Yeah.
4: Mm-hmm. I can
5: see who's playing who. Yeah, yeah, Um But Susan Sarandon and Gina Davis quickly became the front runners. Uh, Gina Davis particularly pursued the project, pursued Ridley. Uh, everyone involved for the best part of a year. Um, she really wanted this. She spent um, two hours with Ridley Scott and he said uh, he knew she was it. Uh, but her story she tells is that um, she she wanted to play Thelma and then she wanted to play Louise. And then she got talked to Thelma and it flip flopped quite a lot. Um, but she said, as soon as she met Susan Sarandon, she knew who, which one was which. And Scott says the same, that he cast Susan Sarandon because of the authority he sh- He knew she'd bring to the role. In terms of the guys in the film, um, Christopher McDonald came in to read for the rapist character, uh, but ended up getting the role of husband Daryl. Uh, Ridley Scott says he had no idea how funny he was going to be in the <laughs> movie. Uh, and interestingly, Callie uh, uh, Curie saw Michael Madsen sitting in a lobby in Las Vegas while he was shooting another movie uh, with her husband. And uh, she thought he was right for the film. But again, he was asked to play uh, the rapist character. But he uh, said he didn't want to play that role. He wanted to play a more sympathetic guy for once. And so he ended up landing the role of jimmy and there's quite conflicting stories about uh the jd role um according to ridley scott on the commentary brad pitt auditioned and he was it no question but brad pitt reckons there was another actor in the running at the time he doesn't say who uh there's lots of names around online but in terms of what they who they actually talk about um pitt says um that in the audition ridley scott asked him to be a real sociopath And he said he had to go home and look up the word sociopath because he was from (laughs) Missouri and he never heard that word before. Um, He said after he he did the audition, um, he reckons it was a month before he heard back because someone else got the role and it fell through. In an entirely unrelated story, Gina Davis recounts that she first met George Clooney a few years ago on a plane. Um, He told her that he loves Thurman Louise, but hates Brad Pitt because he got that part. And she said, did you want that part? And he said, yes. Do you not remember my audition with you? (laughs) <laughs> uh, and she said she pretended that she did, but she can't remember auditioning with George Clooney. Um, but yeah, that's about it. I've got in terms of background, anything else? Have you seen the trailer uh, that came out at the time? No, I don't think I have. I'm sure that um, Blondine will drop some of it in earlier in this podcast, but I'll, I'll, I'll post it on Twitter. It is unbelievable. It's, it's presented as a screwball comedy in which nothing Dark or bad or <laughs> negative <laughs> happens. <Great>. Um, these <laughs> girls are going fishing, but they're going to catch hell. Um, that's
3: a voice, right, it's a man's voice, right? It's a man's voice. And it's yeah. clearly a trailer
5: made uh, that's with the concern yeah, that they're going to scare men people. off. People. Yeah. 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 So uh, that's just one other thing that really made me laugh. So let's talk about the movie. We get two minutes of credits. We get a lot of credits at the start of this film. Um, lots of words and names coming up on screen not a fan of that but then uh, we meet Thelma played by Gina Davis and Louise played by Susan Sarandon and they are going on a fishing trip Uh, Louise works in the smokiest cafe in history (laughs) she smokes in a food prep area I loved her at that point
1: she's literally in the kitchen with a fag in her mouth Uh,
5: Thelma's husband is Daryl as I said played by Chris McDonald aka uh, Shooter McGavin he's so good Um, (laughs) he's a controlling bully who isn't all that different from that Happy Gilmore character no Um, his license plate uh, I did. I clocked this on my third watch this week. Um, his license plate is simply the one.
4: Oh, <laughs> it's, I thought it was Thelma.
5: Oh, was it Thelma?
4: I think he might be because he loves his wife in his own weird way, and oh, she's a trophy wife. But I might be wrong as well. When I saw it, I thought it was almost Thelma. Do you think he we'll thinks have have
1: he's a in a ball comedy though? Because he is. He plays it for laughs like a lot. I mean, he's great, but his scenes do jar slightly with some of the other scenes in the film. I just I wondered what your thoughts on that were.
4: That he thinks he's in a different film. Well, that he is.
1: He's, he's quite his, broad. His character is much, yeah, that's the word. Yeah, yeah, you're right. The comedy in his scenes is a lot more like actual, like doing it as a comedy.
4: Yes, you're right. Um, But then we, but then you've got the nice counterbalance because the scenes with uh, Louise and Jimmy are quite intense and quite long. So I didn't mm. mind that as a counterweight.
5: Mm. And it sounds like he brought a lot of that to the part, like that pratfall he does, Um, that was an accident. Uh, at the start which is really funny but the way he knowing it's, it was an accident uh, it, the way he ad-libs after it he styles it out he ad-libs in character and it's clear from th- there's another commentary that Kali Kuri does uh, with the two actresses and, uh, and and Ridley Scott as well it was clear that they were all surprised at just how much humour he did bring to that character and it's kind of needed at certain points in the yeah, film as yeah. well it's really helpful um, so, we've got a packing montage. It does a packing montage compared to a dressing montage, Vicky? <laughs>
4: I like a packing montage. Okay. Because also, we're showing, aren't we? Louise yes. is sparse and ordered, and Thelma's chaotic, and she's not even told her husband she's going away. And these things will become, they're clearly lies as the film goes on, because Thelma becomes uh, very open, and Louise is not, I mean, she's not honest with her. Is she not, not honest? She doesn't open up to her friend, even at the absolute crunch moment about what happened to her in Texas. So, you set them up, and then you reverse it throughout the film. Mm. Lovely.
5: Mm, character right Um. so what was I going to say yeah packing montage and then they're leaving Arkansas in a 1966 Thunderbird convertible which is Louise's pride and joy kind of her baby mm. but her other child is Thelma I would say who's yeah. this innocent who hasn't travelled anywhere and particularly in this scene because we literally see her practising smoking in a mirror to look like she's in awe Louise. of her
4: friend yeah yeah
5: um Thelma wants to get to their cabin, but Louise talks her into stopping by a honky tonk bar.
1: Oh, I love that place. <laughs> that doesn't look great. Would you not like to go there? Margaritas and a oh tray God. of popcorn. So you're
4: going to say, when she orders a margarita and a tequila on yeah. the side, I was like, why do I not do that? It's the most because amazing one thing. margarita goes too quickly and then yeah. you're can then you going to have had two. Mm. From now on, uh, that's
1: what I want. And you can't put two shots, of, you can't mm, put that much tequila in nice. one margarita. It's too tequila So yeah, it's, it's it's the smartest thing. It's the
4: perfect order. And also I'm
1: going to start drinking wild turkey by the miniature bottle. <laughs> a warning for if we do go to the pub afterwards Anna. Alex loves a tequila.
0: It's Friday! (laughs) (laughs) We haven't recorded
5: on a Friday for a long time.
0: (laughs) For that reason. This is bad
5: (laughs) news. It's Friday
3: the 13th. Um, What could possibly go wrong?
5: So a predator called Harland uh, starts bothering the girls. And before we get into that, Vicky, did you recognise the actor who plays Harland? No. Oh, Oh, my word. Why what? Uh oh. He's played by Timothy Carhart. Uh, Mm. Alex, would you like to say who that actor is?
4: in Ghostbusters no he isn't yes no he's not
5: mm. he's the violinist in Ghostbusters
4: he's not yes no
5: unbelievable every you week really have you seen, have you seen Ghostbusters because <laughs> you say it's your favourite film the
4: thing up his nose the um
5: the well, the man with the violin the, the,
3: violin. the, the sensible boyfriend of yes. Sigourney
5: Weaver's yeah, yeah and yeah. he's waiting in, yeah. the, in
4: the square yeah. that's never well I'll tell you what I should have spotted that. But also, what an excellent actor. Mm. Mm. Because mm. what a character. What a shift. He
1: fooled you. <laughs> he
4: really did. So Do you ha- feel good about that, by the way? Sorry, just... <laughs>
5: <laughs> so Harlan starts um, chatting up uh, Thelma, I guess, at the beginning. But Louise sees straight through him, uh, wants him to go away. But he doesn't go away. And Harlan takes the extremely drunk Thelma outside. Uh, he assaults her and he attempts to rape her. Louise appears with a gun which eventually stops him uh, but then he starts to verbally attack the pair of them
1: and in response, Louise shoots him dead. It's crazy that the waitress doesn't like give him fair warning about him. She's like, oh, you're not bothering these women, are you, mm. Harlan? Because, I mean, she sort of later on goes, I'm mm. not surprised he's dead because yes. someone was going to do it, which sort of gives you the idea that he's not just like, you know, that cheeky chappy. Well, he's clearly not, but that this waitress knows that he is a, a, a wrong un mm. and doesn't sort of go... You know,
3: but she's rolled her eyes. She's done a kind of fair warning thing. I mean, how far can you go mm. to to? to yeah, I still think there's a bit of sisterhood there, mm. do yeah. I mean, she does have a few moments where she sort of warns them. I think subtly. And let's not blame the waitress. I for was going to say blame the waitress. If you want to get into it, <laughs> yes. yeah. good point. Chris. You can't warn uh, someone not away really from her fault, is it? Anna, <laughs> <really>? Anna, <laughs> Anna,
5: can you remember though the reaction to that scene um, when you're in the cinema? The the, the shooting.
3: The shooting. Um... It's going back a while now, isn't it? But I'm um, using my imagination and mm. my memory. I would say it was a huge shock mm. um, because obviously you're being set up for a fun road trip. And you're absolutely right, Alex, when you watch it a second time, knowing what happens at the end, you feel very differently Mm. when you start watching the movie. I felt quite miserable watching it yesterday because I knew how it was going to end. I knew that that scene was coming. But when you're watching it the first time in a cinema, you don't know that scene's coming. You're thinking, hey, girls are on a road trip. They've escaped. You know, they're having a great time. They're knocking about the booze. Mm. Um, You know, this guy's being a pest. Okay. And then it turns. And then obviously the rape scene is horrendous. Um, And then the shooting I think there was a sense, actually. I mean, I think for some people, a sense of triumph. Like, yeah, you know, he's he's said something completely vile, and he's completely disrespecting the women, and and he's underestimating them massively because she's still got a gun in her hand. Mm. Yeah, because he doesn't. She's she's not a threat to him. Yeah, so he completely underestimates her. She doesn't count because she's a woman in his mind. She's completely devoid of any kind of power, even with you know the phallic symbol of a gun in her hand. So you know, the very fact that you know she does that, I think had a bit of a reaction it, kind of positive but obviously it's not a good thing it, you know it's not the right thing to do but I think it is designed for a bit of a release yeah of female rage yes <laughs> because yes so
4: that's why that's why she does it so I understand why you as a 13 year old boy would be like why have you done that when you were away like she doesn't stop sure. the rape they're gone but it's because cool. like you said he doesn't take them seriously even though she's holding a gun but it's because he says suck my dick if yep. he said anything else like you're a bitch or whatever, then they would have. They maybe would have walked away, but because because he's saying something that is abusive, but also so well I'm like so casual, but so like sexualized again. That's what tips her over the edge, and so everything that she's been holding down for her whole life mm. boils over at that point. So when you're cheering, you I was gutted for them the first time I saw it. Cause it's like I oh, know your road trip's ruined because obviously there will be recriminations for this, but there's a small part of it that's like thank you for doing that for me, basically.
5: Yeah. And, and, and it, it has triggered something as well, because even after he's dead, she says, you watch your mouth, buddy. Yeah. You feel like there's something else going on there. We learn more about it later. Mm-hmm. But um, Callie Kouri said she was she was completely shocked when she watched it with audiences and people clapped. Yes, She was not expecting it. And she said, uh, I think that's the first example on film of a woman being triggered to the point that she just lost it. Uh, you don't know what's happened to a person. That's kind of what the point of the movie was. Uh, you think you know who these women are, but we're going to show you. We're going to peel back this onion and you're going to be sorry that you thought so little of them.
4: And I wonder if... The way that I don't know this, she writes it with this big backstory in Louise's history. Something really big happened. It's big enough that Harvey Keitel can find out about it. So it's something on paper somewhere. But you could write it that it isn't one, but it's never just one thing. It could just be mm. nothing massive happened. It's just a series of little things that build up and build up, and then she's had enough of it. I think I think an audience maybe back then. Maybe even now, you'd have to do such a good job with it to be able to make people buy that that's what she was feeling. But I would buy that, basically.
5: Yeah. Um. So uh, Thelma wants to go to the police, uh, but Louise reckons they won't be believed. We don't live in that kind of world, Thelma, she says. Uh, so then they are on the run and we're going to take a break.
1: Hi, everyone. Marcus from the Football Ramble here. We know that keeping up with all the football can be quite a tricky task, even for those at the top of the game.
5: Wayne really says he's been sleeping in his office.
2: Yep. Diligent. Get Dedicated. Get signings.
5: Get signings,
2: get some signings
5: yeah, done. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. everything's done by fax, isn't it? Yeah. So he can't go home. I like my dinner and the dog. That's actually how I <laughs> eat my food these days. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> even those who run the clubs are having a mare.
2: I guess the system they have at Barcelona is that someone can come in and be president for a bit and the destruction they leave is is someone else's problem.
1: Thankfully, there's an easier way for you to keep up with all the football this season. Listen to the Football Ramble every weekday for the biggest stories from the Premier League and around the world. From the sublime to the ridiculous, the bust-ups to the cock-ups, it's your definitive guide to the new season. Just search Football Ramble in your podcast app to listen now.
0: The Football Ramble is a Stack Production and part of the Acast Creator Network.
5: And we're back. So a cop called Hal, played by Harvey Keitel, is sent to investigate and we get a sense that this wasn't the first time, as we've said, that Harland has done this sort of thing. Um, Louise calls her fella Jimmy, played by Michael Madsen, and asks for some help with money. Uh, We also learn that Louise doesn't want to go through Texas for an unexplained reason at this point. Um, uh, Thelma calls Daryl, And ends the call by telling him to go fuck himself. (laughs) Uh, This is the first indication that she's changing. She's sticking up for herself. Uh, She's becoming independent. uh, Which is a good time for her to meet JD. uh, Played by Brad Pitt. So she trips over him while he's squirting water in the air which I think is none too subtle foreshadowing (laughs) going on there. Uh, um, They pick up JD, they get rid of JD. He's going to show up again. Um, But Jimmy shows up first. um, And we get this scene uh, between Jimmy and Louise in the hotel room. I think this is a really interesting scene. A lot of it was improvised by Madsen. Certainly, um, the violence in that scene was something oh, really? that he yeah oh, he did on the spot. Um, but um, so he
4: wasn't written like that because well, I this thought- is what he
5: said. But I oh, I don't know if I can quite buy into that that he that that he just did that on the spot without anyone knowing that he was going to do that. Because
4: do you not feel like? So he's he's a good guy. I mean, I I do have as I've got older and watched it again. Like he tries to when he thinks Louise is going to leave him, he tries to own her through marriage. But mm. it's like too late for that, and obviously that is a bit of a dick move at mm-hmm. that point. Um,
5: but he say, he says and does the wrong things. Actually, when he thinks he says it's saying and doing the right yeah. things, it's scary when he loses his
1: temper though. And it, it smashes is. up that. But table. that's the thing
4: because then you think because well, she not, runs, yeah,
1: she runs for the door. Yeah, so, so she that's knows. not the
4: first time he's done yeah. That, right. Yeah, which is what then when you watch it when you're younger, you need you do need sometimes these sort of very. broad... Broad, bro, sorry, broader strokes. I go. Oh, actually, no, you are a bad guy because she doesn't look like. Oh my god, you've never done that before. She's like, this is a history of violent behavior, aggressive behavior. So you're right to not want to sort of throw your lot in with him.
1: Mm. But, but he is sort of still. His character is. He's a good guy in this. Good. He he I, helps them out, and yet. Yes. And so I just I I I'm I'm. I, how do those two things marry up? I never quite understood like why he was like because he's clearly scary and he's clearly done that before like that outburst of violence and yet. He is simultaneously one of the more heroic characters yeah. in the film. So how do those two things coexist? Why do they not coexist? People are complicated creatures. I know, but exactly. she looks really scared, though, when she runs to the door.
5: I, yeah. yeah. I also get a sense that she can handle him, though. Interestingly, that, that scene, there's a much longer version of it on the DVD where they start talking about that ring. And she says to him, you've had that ring for a long time and you've been keeping it for when I'm slipping away. Yeah. And, and um, he denies that. And then she says, it's true, isn't it? And he admits it's true. Um, And so they have a a really nice long conversation about the games that they've been playing with each other. And I get a sense, even without that extra bit, that this feels like the first time he's actually... um, talking about his feelings maybe in his life, this bloke. He doesn't seem like someone who's capable of that. And it's just sad. It's too late. It's it's too late that he's having this conversation. And with he does her.
4: do that classic thing of, and I know he undercuts it because he repeats it. So maybe he was joking the first time, but he's like, will you marry me sort of thing? And she's like, that's not going to happen. He's like, but I've flown across two states for you. And it's like, so what? So what? Like, oh, so now I owe you the rest of my life. Mm. You did one thing and now I owe you everything, which is a very common conversation to have. Um, but then he, does, he says it again. So maybe he was just messing around the first time. I'm unsure.
5: It's quite sad because I do feel like they love each other. But equally, she knows it's wrong. And certainly, as I think she says, the timing is quite bad here.
3: <laughs> that's what I like about it. It's a complex relationship. Yeah. You know, it's, it's only, it doesn't take up a lot of screen time, but we learn a lot about those two characters mm. and their relationship and their history. Very deftly done.
5: Mm. And she's probably better off without him, ultimately. I think.
3: I don't know. It's complicated, isn't it, Anna? It might have worked. I don't know. Yeah. But he'd have to go to anger management school. <laughs>
5: So JD's at the door. Um, (laughs) In the rain. It's raining. Um, Ridley Scott says, I put lots of rain in my films because I'm from the north of England. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah, JD talks his way into uh, Thelma's room and it's quite childlike. Yeah, they're playing like kids. They're They're jumping on the bed. Jumping them down. But I, I, I like the contrast here. This is why I like this script so much because earlier Harland was slapping her to hurt her this time. JD's slapping her, but it's affectionate. It's quite a sweet thing that he's doing. They're playing a game. Um, Kali Kuri does this a lot in this script. But um, yeah, he takes her ring and puts it in a glass, sort of exercising her marriage. I'm going to get come to that in a minute because there's another con- contrast thing happening there. But um, there's a scene that was deleted where he's admiring himself in a mirror. He's admiring his, which comes back to that sociopathic, maybe narcissistic thing that Ridley Scott was saying, telling uh, Brad Pitt in their mm. audition. Um, but uh, his voice is quite high in this film. Did have you notice that? No. His voice has changed would... a lot since I love this movie. it in this film. I wish he kept
3: it exactly like yeah, that. Yeah, well he hates it.
5: <laughs> but um he, he can't watch himself in this film because
4: of like, know, I just how... think it's brilliant that he's in it. I think it's brilliant that the, the camera's gaze is on him, and so the you know, the male gaze, but it's because he's obviously phenomenal looking. Mm. Um but it it then it just means you can grow up with this film because when you watch it when you're younger, you're just like, right for a he looks fucking awesome. And just you know, the, the sex scene is brilliant. And then as you get older and you appreciate well, actually that's just a reversal of the usual um the way that the camera sort of lingers on him. And it does it to her as well, so there's balance, like it's all very good.
1: I like the Gina the Gina. Gina. Gina Davis' puppy impression when they see him for the second time and (laughs) she she puts her paws up and (laughs) whimpers to have him get in the car. Yeah. Gina Davis said she felt left out
5: in this scene because Ridley Scott applied the Evian spray to Brad Pitt's body himself. (laughs) And she said it was was quite strange lying there. I was like, is anyone going to care about me help me (laughs) (laughs) Uh, he also tells her he's a thief that he's robbed a gas station convenience stores liquor stores he kind of tells her who he is but she doesn't care no she doesn't care because um, she wants to get laid and so uh, the sex is great this was actually uh, a much longer scene Uh, this was like a three minute sex scene in the original cut they spent two days filming it weirdly Brad Pitt says he got embarrassed because his soldier started to salute is how he puts it (laughs) it's a bit uncomfortable (laughs) Uncomfortable for everyone. He was very embarrassed. Not really, but uh, whatever. Um, but do you remember this scene in the cinema? Of course
3: Emma? I do. <laughs> what do you think? I'm a red blooded woman. My gosh. Yeah. I mean, imagine that. Yeah. Not expecting that in yeah. this, in this feminist film. Yeah. Extraordinary. And that's certainly got a reaction. Yeah. My goodness. I mean, you know, word has it he worked out a lot for that role to be for it to be really memorable. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, as Vicky says, the the key is is the the camera focus and also the way that it's not really kind of lingering on Gina Davis's body mm-hmm. in that way and she's just she's not sexualized she's wearing kind of normal got, little everyday knickers uh, yeah. and stuff you and know. she's got a nightie yeah. on yeah. yeah she's got a nightie so all that is great um, and yeah I think it's, it's, it's a seminal moment um, yeah absolutely key but I disagree with you when you say she just wants to get laid because actually when you think about mm-hmm. it he symbolizes a lot for her mm-hmm. it, when he tells her that he's a thief and that he has this wild lifestyle in a way that's something that she finds very attractive and wants to emulate for herself mm-hmm. so in a way she's learning from him as we later see yep. and we'll come to so
5: um louise says goodbye to jimmy uh but she keeps the ring i quite like that um and interestingly we've got the contrast here thelma's just lost a ring louise has gained a ring uh interesting would you have kept
4: the ring Uh, he says he he says you can keep it yeah but you
5: can insist that the the man (laughs) have it back he would have spent a lot of money on that
1: i mean alex would
5: you want the ring back
1: uh, Yeah, probably. Yeah. I mean, if you're a jobbing musician like yeah, exactly. poor Jimmy is, <laughs> he's playing the Ramada in.
4: He uh, is. Yeah, I would take the ring. I mean, she's got, you know, limited resources. Uh,
5: so uh, next morning, uh, Thelma is pretty high after that sex. Her I hair love looks, that. Her I hair love looks crazy. I love it.
0: I what love it that she's just like, hi. <laughs> uh,
5: she finally understands what all the fuss is about. And that's something Kelly Corey said uh, it was important that Thelma get laid. Um, but at the same time, uh, they realize they've been robbed. By this point, I really feel that Thelma needs to listen to Louise because Louise tells Thelma they should get to the cabin, but they don't. Louise tells Thelma to stay away from Harlem, but she doesn't. Louise tells Thelma to stay away from JD, but she doesn't. Moral of the story is listen to Louise. (laughs) Yes. Although then you miss out on having sex with Brad Pitt, so... Every cloud. Um, so uh, Louise is losing it at this point. Um, it's Thelma, I read, Thelma sees mum crying for the first time.
0: <laughs> yeah.
5: uh, but it means that Thelma now starts taking charge. This is important. She talks her down and she goes and robs a liquor store um, using the script that JD uh, told her. <laughs> um, and there's a great cut here to the FBI who are now involved and the cops uh, and they watch the robbery with Daryl. Mm.
4: It's awesome because they're eating burgers and they're watching it like telly. Like it's entertainment. So if you're the FBI and you see a fledgling armed robber proficiently rob a liquor store, no one gets hurt, they get the money, it's over within seconds. And that was a man. You could imagine the scene where they're like, shit, right, we've got a real problem on our hands, these two, da, 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 But they're like, wow, look at that. It's like dogs did it. That's what it's like cuz they're like oh my god look a fucking dog just held up a fucking liquor store can you believe it wow no we should do something about that actually that's he's, what it's like He's
3: eating a burger as well and it's Stephen Tobolowsky from yeah. Groundhog Day which I love <laughs> yeah. yeah but yeah that's a fantastic I totally agree with your reading of that scene
5: um, and then there's another very scene soon after where um, they've got Daryl's phone tapped and Thelma um, hangs up on upon him immediately it's based brilliant. on the nice way he says so hello. Good. That's funny. It's so effective. Um, it's such simple storytelling. And yeah, yeah.
4: And Daryl gets his moment as well because <laughs> he wants to, he's suddenly not the boss in his own house. I think the humour that you were talking about earlier works because he his humour is a performance. Like, I'm master of this house and he wants to keep Thelma in the house because as long as she's in the house, he's got, you know, control. But it's a very shallow front and it's, a, it's got no sort of real power behind it because the minute the cops come to his house he's not in charge of his own television and that's a big thing that's for him It's
1: so funny that moment mm. where he's just so used to being in charge that he changes the channel and they all turn around yeah. and look at him because they watch the film and he goes oh sorry
4: yeah but he, he says also, <laughs> he doesn't say sorry this is my house like he no. would do to her so he's been there's all these levels of masculinity Happening, and he's been bested in quote marks by that level of masculinity mm. in that scene.
5: It's interesting to talk about that humor because Stephen Tobolowsky in his interview says, Yeah, we were making this tragedy. Callie Corey says she was making a drama. Ridley Scott says he was making a comedy, and he actually sort of not butted heads with Callie Corey, but he said, We need to push the humor in this because we want people to see this film, we want this to be commercial, and we can make your drama while having all this humour and it really does it's, it's a real balancing act but they pull it off definitely
3: so when you're saying that he's not actually into performances that's interesting so that did, do you think he briefed someone like Gina Davis for example in that moment after um, she's had sex with Brad Pitt and it, you know I thought when watching that I wonder if she just came up with that when she goes I might just be crazy you know <laughs> she does that herself Whether he told us to, you know you I'm get a curious sense, about that you
5: get a sense from the the various commentaries that so much it was improvised. You you liked the bit where she does the dog thing. Ridley Mm. Scott said, I wasn't expecting her to do that. Mm. I love it. Um, Yeah, I I think these actors brought a lot to these roles. Interestingly, there's a deleted scene here, so it doesn't count, but um, there's quite a long deleted scene of Hal at home with his wife, um, who's played by Catherine Keener interestingly oh, okay. and he's in bed asking her Ooh, what do we learn about him for, from this scene because I'd like to know a bit more about Hal um, he's asking his wife if she would ever shoot one or, or someone or what it would take for her to shoot someone but what I thought was interesting about it was that in the background they're lying in bed it's a Saturday morning and in the background running from room to room he's got two young daughters oh nice and so Obviously, he's seeing some of his something of his daughters in Thelma and Louise, which is a nice way of giving him backstory. But ultimately, they obviously decided he doesn't need a backstory. He doesn't need to see his daughters in these people. He's just, you know, he's a decent person who's seeing that there's more to this story than meets the eye. So, yeah, that's mm. that, that's what we learn about him. Okay, but it's interesting. To Catherine Keener as well.
3: I would like to see that deleted. It's
5: not on YouTube. Oh, yeah. Um, I'll lend you my Blu-ray.
3: Please, thank you. <laughs>
5: Um, So we've got some nice symbolic stuff happening in the next few scenes. Um, Louise gives an old fella her jewellery. She chucks her lipstick away. Mm. She's getting rid of these womanly trappings um, they're sort of becoming their true selves and it's interesting what's happening with wardrobe because they were wearing quite complicated outfits at the start with
4: well like when Thelma with with the rape she's wearing, she's wearing a white dress so she's presented as a virgin mm. um, and then they become more like outlaw outfits yep. so the neckerchief and the glasses and yep. the hats and things
5: white, like that. white t-shirts and yep. less and less makeup they're looking yep. more windswept and they were saying that it actually took more time in makeup to make them look like they weren't they were wearing less makeup of
4: course everybody knows that
5: <laughs> <laughs> um so uh you know they're changing physically as well as sort of emotionally um and we, we, we're getting closer to finding out what happened to Louise in Texas it's pretty clear that it was something similar to what happened to Thelma in that car park maybe she wasn't believed is is how I would maybe read it um sure. it's, it, with um with Hal being able to find out the information that maybe she did press charges against someone, and mm. but we, it's never explained to us. Do you ever um, think
3: that legally she actually can't be in Texas because oh yeah. she did something?
5: That was my first. My right. first thought was she's killed someone in Texas, or right. she, she, you know, she's done something terrible to someone. So yeah, maybe that was it. Maybe Could it's be. legally. Yeah. Um, a cop pulls them over. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hmm. And they pull a gun on the cop. Um, I think this
1: cop's brilliant. You know, I mean, c- this is played like, for This is a comedy scene. This mm-hmm. sequence, yeah, because he's great. The way he's like all into his look and his fact that he's a cop doing his glasses. He's quite fascistic
5: the way he Mm. sort of presented. And and the actor was
1: saying that he had to shave like three
5: times that a day. He had to be completely clean cut for Ridley. He just wanted him to look like this sort of this vision, like Judge Dredd almost. Yeah. Um, But yeah, he gets, uh, they pull a gun on him. uh, They shoot his music radio rather than his police radio. (laughs) Um, And uh, they lock him in uh, the truck with some air holes. I'm going to jump to a scene now because it connects to that. A Rastafarian on a bike catches up with What's, him. What
4: is this? I don't like this bit. <laughs> this is, it, is what I mean. It, gets, it starts to do an no, unfair. It picks up the pace massively once, we, once Thelma's robbed the liquor store. And then it becomes more symbolic for me than real, which Mm. which I'm absolutely happy with. But I do think that's true. So especially the stuff with the trucker. But then this hot boxing of the police officer, I don't know what that is. For me, the first time I saw it, I actually thought this was a period piece because I wasn't sure where we were because of the car and because of the way that they wear the headscarves and things like that. I knew that wasn't quite right. But the diner that Louise works in, I I couldn't situate myself because I was quite young. And then this dude turning up on a bike, I was like, oh no, shit, we are in the 90s because you look like a 90s cyclist but I don't understand what is happening and I just don't see the point
1: of it do people smoke pot while they're mountain biking as well, well? I suppose
4: it's because the, the landscape is so beautiful
3: right. and you'd be but by yourself
1: cycling it's like, like hard
3: work he well, was yeah. going
1: uphill as well yeah. What's your thoughts so, on? That? Well,
3: the theory with this is that he's a countercultural figure, obviously. Right. So he's kind of supporting them, in, and he's not letting the cop out. Yeah. And it's another because this isn't a very racially diverse film generally. Yeah. It's a nod to that at least. Um. And yeah, obviously there's a comedy moment of not letting him out, but he's also kind of I like the comedy that, that he's kind of maybe offering to help him by bringing a bit of his own more liberal culture to yeah. this guy's life. This will chill you out, mate. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's, it's comedy, but also yeah, I, you know, feminist theory goes that yeah. It's it's about kind of broadening the kind of scope and talking about countercultural figures or underrepresented figures like Thelma and Louise. It's
5: interesting because it wasn't in the script and when they were location scouting, Ridley Scott um, in the middle of nowhere uh, near a mountain range saw a Rastafarian on a bike, uh, drove back to the bloke, said, can I take a photo of you? Took a photo of him and then just in putting that character in this film. Brilliant.
3: So that's... Love it. Do you think he was thinking that or maybe we've just overanalyzed the hell out of it?
5: <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, I haven't mentioned him, but they passed the same sleazy truck driver for the third time
1: um, who asked them if they are ready for his big dick. He is such a weird character. Yeah. Everything about him, like I, I couldn't fathom what he was meant to be. Like he's...
4: That's what I mean about it, becoming more symbolic because when they confront him, He's not even talking by that. He's just he's just grunting. So yeah. he's like a caveman or an he's not he's that's the representation of man men that we're at by this point in the film that he can, can barely speak apart from to offer them his dick or whatever. Well, this is interesting because Kali Khouri
5: felt that he should have been more intimidating yeah. a character uh because there are these frightening truckers out there. Um, But I actually quite like this version of this character because I think he represents that kind of smiling face who thinks the comments and the grabbing are all a bit of fun. It's a bit of a joke to him. So I think it works in that respect. Of of you know, He's quite different to the way Harlan...
4: What what always chimes with me and people I watch it with is when they say, "Okay, we're ready, pull over. He fucking does. And it's like, that's the thing when that happens to you on the street. You're like, what do you think is going to happen at this point when you've just said that to me? Do you think I'm going to go... Because you've said that, let's do this. But he does think that. And it's like, that's so mad. Like That's what gets the big reaction. It's like, it's good to see because you know he's going to get... Mm. he's going to something terrible well, is going to happen he grabs to him. the
5: condoms takes off the wedding yeah. ring
3: because he really thinks that that's yeah. going to happen a lot of men would yeah. unfortunately but yeah. the way he the I way can't he
5: believe he's married
3: the way he <laughs> and the way
5: he moves though i feel like that my only issue is they they present it like this has happened to him a few times before he has been successful because he, everything was we'll ready just for optimistic.
3: him optimistic Maybe optimistic
5: <laughs> yeah um uh but they sort of start questioning him as well um I think it's Louise who says, how would you feel if someone did that to your mother or your sister or wife? And this was something that Sarandon brought to the film. Um, She said she didn't just want this to be a revenge movie. She wanted them to be questioning why these things were happening, looking for answers. And and at this point, it's just an apology she's asking for. Yeah, Um, Because for the
4: characters, it doesn't make sense. They're on the run. This is wasting time. It doesn't make any sense for them to stop for quite a long time to do this. But that's where the film's tipped over from, which again is all fine, not being so much about what the pulls it back at the end but not what is happening to these characters but about expressing all these that you're writing it and you're expressing all these things because you know that all the women in the audience want you to say that to that man because you're always desperate to say how would you feel if this was your mum or your daughter or your sister but you never do
5: yeah agreed and then they shoot his tyres and then they hit his gas tank, blowing up his
1: truck. Woo, an explosion! I love that man. <laughs> and we've got a car chase as
5: well, which yeah. is great. Um, uh, there's a deleted scene here, which I was a little bit sad about because it's only a few seconds, but the pair of them regret uh, they didn't fill their tank before blowing up his truck. <laughs> Uh, so I like the way they're thinking That's at funny. this point. They are truly thinking like outlaws. So we're into the home straight now,
1: as the net starts to close. There's cops everywhere. Uh, they outran them all. Bit of action for Alex. Mm, Smoky and the Bandit too. It reminded me of. and <laughs> you know, there's loads of police cars in the desert, and all the trucks come out. But yeah.
4: interesting here. So Stephen Tobolowski, So Ned Ryerson, Harvey Keitel is like, "Why have you sent the army? This will only end one way." And Ned, there's a reading that Ned Ryerson is the most progressive man in this film because he treats Thelma and Louise as lawbreakers not as men not as women but as lawbreakers the law was written presumably genderless so if you do this he says, this is what we always do mm. so why would we treat these people any differently Harvey Keitel can't accept that Thelma made a choice in any way when she held up the liquor store so he says to JD do you think they would have done what they did if you hadn't robbed all their money which is a problematic although it's it an ally to them that can be a problematic form of friendship because Harvey Keitel is kind of princessing them a bit and lionizing them and not thinking, he cannot bear to think that Thelma and some part of her did that because she wanted to. Mm. And when you are an ally in that way, that's a very um, high level of perfection to live up to as that person, because you can easily disappoint someone. And a man like Harvey Keitel, if he thinks you're perfect and you're not because nobody is, they come crashing down so easily. And that's a, it's a difficult form of feminism. Whereas in some ways, Ned Ryerson has got it right like we're going to treat these two like the people they are which is they've broken the law in this way and this is the, the justice that they would get that anyone would get
3: Would you like to come, my girls on film? Yeah <laughs>
0: Excellent. That's Excellent. my pitch <laughs>
5: This is why I wanted you two to meet. (laughs) Um, we got a great Hans Zimmer score in this film, which I love. I love the way it works here. Uh, Ridley Scott points out on his commentary that it's interesting that he's an English director and it was a German uh, musician who was putting together this very American story. But he says, Ridley Scott says, I can see the beauty sometimes in in America, places that Americans can't. He talks about Bakersfield, uh, the landscape there. But he says that as the landscape's becoming more heroic,
1: so his characters are becoming more heroic. So it's kind of, He's thinking in visual terms, as ever. There's a but, great shot where the car is driving along the top of the ridge and the helicopter's stalking it in the ravine. It's, it's all Ridley really Scott, stuff. isn't Very it? Very yeah. cool.
5: It's a precursor to, to Black Hawk Down, mm. I guess. It's beautiful. But um, as you say, are uh, pleading with the FBI for mercy, saying how many times are they going to get fucked over? Um, but the die's been cast and their destiny has been
1: decided. Uh, Louise says, let's not get caught. Let's keep going. And they kiss. That's the bit. Let's keep going. Like, and this is what we to talk about: how the the comparison of these two films. Again, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. I was really invested in those characters more than I was in Thelma and Louise. And yet, at the end of Butch Cassidy, nothing. Didn't feel anything. That line. Let's keep going. I couldn't stop. I know. I just, I, I, right, I just, I just went, and yeah. I was just so surprised that on a level that I hadn't registered throughout the film. Because I, I won't lie, I sort of sat through this and was like, oh, okay, okay. That that point, it just hit me. Yeah. Like everything that I'd watched came at once in that moment. It's really good, mm. Alex. You're growing up, man. I know. He's feeling emotions. I, think I, think I, I am. am.
4: Is it true that there was an ending where Louise pushed Thelma out of the car?
5: Uh, Well, I'm going to get to the ending, but just before that, I I want to talk about The Kiss. Sure. Because uh, that was improvised as well. Susan Sarandon says, I just felt that by that time they were finishing each other's sentences and that they loved each other and this was a big moment and the sun was going down. We had one take because they spent all day with the helicopters.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, <it> Ridley!
5: Just, <laughs> no, genuinely, he says we only had 45, I only left us 45 minutes to shoot. Their <laughs>
0: um, but
5: she said it just felt right. It was an intuition thing, which is a really beautiful uh, moment in the film. So Hal runs after them, but it's too late. They hold hands and they fly and it fades to white followed by images of them still very much happy and alive. So yeah, the ending um, in terms of the, this ending, um, Callie Curry said she wasn't surprised that the studio was nervous at what other films, uh, at the film throwing their leads characters into the Grand Canyon at the end. She, she, she knew that would be a problem, but Ridley Scott's contract stated that that original ending had to stay if he wanted it. Um, it couldn't be changed, but slightly different versions were discussed. Um, Ridley Scott and Alan Ladd Jr. Who, who was one of the producers, they spent the whole shoot trying to come up with a new ending, but neither of them managed it. And, and Ridley said to Sarandon, uh, you might push her out the door, then go over. But she says he never truly entertained that. And because they shot this scene at the end of the film, by that point, he understood.
4: And there was no time.
0: There was no time. I spent all
5: day with the helicopters. But Kali Kuri says that, uh, you know, the reason to write the film was the ending. The ending was there from the beginning. And and, and she said, if we had a different ending, the film would be entirely unremarkable. Uh, I don't think that's true, but it might not have been uh, quite the sort of cultural touchstone that it has become. I agree. Um, There is an extended ending, though, where you see the car fly further. Have you watched that? No. So um, the studio got spooked, at one point and so what they did shoot was they know they're going to die Um, Hal's running over them he's looking over the edge as the chopper goes over him and down Um, we see the car go a lot further it goes behind another cliff and then it sort of comes back onto the local police marching forward and Hal's face looking at them uh, and looking where uh, he's seeing what we can't see Um, and then there's a shot of them speeding into the distance in in their car from earlier in the film okay Um, but he said the issue there
1: was... It looks like they survived.
5: Yeah, I guess so. He wasn't worried about that, but more that it kind of, it was more ending on Hal Mm. than them. Mm. And so it just made no sense. it has to be
4: soaring, otherwise it's different. Mm -hmm.
5: Yeah. So um, that's the end of the film. But I think we should talk a little bit about the fallout from this movie because this wasn't without its controversy. Um, they had a lot of fun making the film. Everyone agrees it's most fun they've had on, on, on almost all the shoots they've done. And Callie says this is the film she wanted to make. Um, this, this outlaw movie about women d- uh, directed at a female audience. But she thought she was making something unique um, concerning women who were real and complete and not... Sexualized, But she didn't think she was making something that controversial. Mm. But within two weeks, Time magazine um, had put them on the cover saying why Thelma and Louise strike a nerve. And they had no idea how badly it would trigger mainly men um, who called it male bashing, immoral glamorising suicide, a celebration of gun crime and vigilantism and violence. Even though only three people die in the film, one of them's a (laughs) rapist and two of them are Thelma and Louise.
0: Um,
5: Sarandon reckons the backlash was because they were entering territory that was owned by white heterosexual males and they didn't like it. Kali Kuri said it taught her to let go and not be upset by people who through ignorance or anger were willfully misunderstanding her work. But it became a hit, won an Oscar and has lived on as one of the most important and beloved films of the decade. But I can remember that backlash. Um, The movie magazines, the newspapers, everyone seemed to want to get on their high horse about it. And it's, just ridiculous The weird
3: thing I must have been in this little student feminist bubble because I don't remember Backlash I remember us talking about it in class and everyone absolutely loving it and all my friends loving it and everyone I've you know recommended to subsequently loved it I guess I've been living in that bubble because I did and until I was reading about it today right. and I saw some some hilarious pieces you know and men going why film the, and Louise fails as a feminist film I'm like well that's a lot of balls mate to write an <laughs> yeah. article number one <laughs> years, <tell laughs> me what you think but the, the, you know completely misunderstanding it and saying that they're, they're just being stupid and not understanding what we were talking about earlier which was like the reason she shoots him is because of all that pent-up rage you know basically the patriarchy um but but yeah as you say chris you know these this is territory that men have been for years and years and years and then to then leap leap on this and just say oh it's not fair because we're not used to being slightly picked on
5: just one example (laughs) i thought of was death wish how many death wish movies were there which are based on a similar premise to this but he goes on a killing spree across five films for the same reason, and it's like, and I mean, that, that was a bit controversial, but no one really batted an eyelid. It didn't make it into, you know, it, it, the way this did into the into the mainstream media.
3: Mm. Well, the things, I mean, certain you are broad-minded men here, but certain men have been brought up so used to seeing themselves reflected back on screen, and so used to everything being aimed at them, and for women to be in the minority in films, it ha- was then and still is now. Sometimes a bit of a shock when you're not the centre of attention.
1: Do, do the bits? Uh Let's do the bits. Yeah, Uh Alex. What was your favourite scene? The end. Uh The end because it made me cry. Cry mm, my eyes it? out. <makes> yeah, really bawled my eyes out. And yeah. I, again, I was more surprised than uh, than anyone that I like because again, I had I hadn't been on the emotional journey throughout the film that I clearly had subconsciously because it hit me like a gut punch mm. when she goes, "Let's carry on. Let's keep going, brother. Let's keep going." Mm. Mm. Anna.
3: There are so many, but mm. I like the one you referred to earlier when Daryl's answering the phone and she knows immediately. Oh, oh, oh or something, <laughs> you know. And, and then the police, it just it says so many things about him and about her and, and how smart she's become and how much smarter than him she is. The fact she puts down the phone immediately. So I love that scene. Vicky. Let's not get caught. <laughs>
0: so uh. I, just,
3: I think about, yeah, it, considering
4: what is happening, it feels like a triumph and it feels like a victory, which is crazy when you think about what's about to happen. But. It's perfect because I hated it when I read that, um, that uh, Louise could push Thelma out of the car because they've been, this is a film about women finding and expressing their agency. And if, if Louise takes over at that point, it's actually more her story. And that's not the point of it. They're meant to be together. Um, so like they've been throughout the rest of the film. So it's and it's something that Callie Curie said this. It's like the women that have understood this about themselves that have found their agency have no place in this world. They are too big for this world. And that is exactly what it feels like when you watch that.
5: Uh, I agree with both of you and actually the one that you had, I've had written down, Anna. But um, So I will pick a different one. I just think it's a terrific cut to the cops watching the robbery video and the robbery video itself. <laughs> it's a great reveal and it really made me laugh out loud. Uh, most valuable whatever, Anna.
3: Mm, I w- actually was going to say the waitress and it's interesting that, you know, when Alex brought that up earlier, I was like, mm maybe she could have warned them a bit harder but I still think she plays a really valuable role in this because she their sisterhood she says they couldn't possibly have committed this crime um, she does warn them she, she responds to the fact that another waitress in fact has given her a big tip Yeah. Um, you know there, there's, there's no bitchiness there I think that's a really positive character and she also gives them a head start because she, she allays his fears initially mm-hmm. by saying couldn't possibly be them
5: interesting I like it uh, Vicky?
3: Cali uh, Kuri just mm-hmm. for writing it thanks
4: just if you're listening, but you're not, thank you so much. She might listen. She might listen, might mm. she? Maybe one day. Um, yeah, it's just been, yeah. It's just been such an important script and film and everything for me.
5: And it's been like a through line of her career as well. She hasn't done a huge amount, but you know, she's I think she's done a
1: lot for feminism in film all throughout her career and TV, which she does now. Uh Alex. Shooter McGavin. <laughs> I'm a big fan of Christopher McDonald in this movie. I genuinely I don't I'm not just being <laughs> like silly. I think his scenes uh, offer a, a really nice release uh, from some of the intensity. Uh, not you know of the other scenes like uh, like you mentioned, like Jimmy and um, Jimmy and Louise's conversation is it's quite heavy going. And I think wrapped around that are a couple of scenes uh, with Daryl that are just like, oh, it's like a you know, you accelerate the drama and the emotion, then you hit the break, and he appears and does something ridiculous. And You're like, <laughs> oh, thank God for that. And then you're back into it. So I'm and I fucking love shooting McGavin. <laughs> Well, I
5: wrote down, I I would pick Chris McDonald, um, but I know Vicky would kill
1: me for picking...
4: I think it's a not a wise
1: move. Yeah. So, uh, wait, am I, Have I screwed up by picking? <laughs> so it's okay, okay that Gavin? I picked it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'll talk about you later. <laughs> really? I, did. Yeah, I wrote him down. I, I thought thought him down. I wrote him down, but I, I knew it wouldn't I be got the got right thing it. to say. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I'd got through it all right, and I, that was it. Then my MBW. I, I wrote. it down. <laughs> He's got it as well. <laughs>
5: but I, I, I knew I couldn't say it. What? Um, <laughs> why did I not <laughs> go <laughs> after you? It's just wrong. It's just wrong. So, congrats to Kali Kuri. She won the Oscar, and now she's landed the big one, and she's my MBW.
4: That's the way you do it. You were gonna say
5: Christopher <laughs> McDonald, weren't you? I've got them both yeah. written down. I've written should should give it to Christopher McDonald to mention, but I can't. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: you should be able to. So it's having a bit of fun, Alex. Uh what would you change Al? Uh, probably a bit more shoot McGavin, <laughs> aka Christopher McDonald in it, just you know, really up the comedy. Yeah, I'd make them men. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Huh? I mean, if you want to make a bit of money, make them men, All yeah. right, It's
1: about time. I have, I've not seen this story told with men. <laughs> uh, no, seriously, what's no, your No, what's change? yours? What's yours? Because I'll get into trouble with mine, so you go first this time.
5: Mine's really rubbish this week, um, but I think it's a real... But there's not much I don't like. Really going through it, scene by scene, this week... I love the writing so much. I don't think there's much I would change, but I really don't think you should um, start your film with two minutes and 17 seconds of um, credits. I think it's a massive mistake. It just gets it gets it off on the wrong foot. Just get into the story. It was because he liked Hans Zimmer's um, score. That's not a good enough reason, <laughs> especially as you're going to show those same credits over images at the end of the film. So we're all going to watch the credits. <laughs> yeah. um, so that was my change. Uh, Vicky.
4: Um, so like you mentioned, Thelma makes a lot of mistakes. And there's one mistake that I think is a mistake too far, bearing in mind where we are in the film, which is she tells JD that they're going to Mexico and Louise like, I can't believe it. So not only have you got us robbed and all the rest of it, but you told him where we were going. That was the one thing we are going for as they didn't know where we were or where we were going. And now we've lost that advantage. I think that should have been Louise's mistake to balance it out a bit. And it should have been something she told Jimmy mm. when she's wavering and she's like, we do have a bit of a good thing and I will be lonely and maybe you should come with me. And she accidentally tells him. And so that's how the police find out that they're going to Mexico just to balance out mm. the friendship a bit. But
5: Jimmy would never give her up.
4: You th- well, yeah, I wouldn't. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I would yeah. Even, I don't even, know how it would work. Sure, that he would... but you,
5: you'd figure out a way. Yeah, yeah, he
4: couldn't just tell them to grass them up.
3: But yeah, yeah. I just—it's just too—it's yeah. just too, too many mistakes on Thelma's part. It's unfair, Anna. Well, of course, it's nearly a perfect movie, but I do think um, the the pervy truck driver is miscast and misplayed, mm. overplayed. I think he's mm. just way over the top. Um, even though I agree that you know it's useful that he's being a, a little bit useless, mm. I just think that the comedy of that role is all wrong.
5: You agree with Cali Kuri then? That's there you how, go.
3: That's yeah, I didn't know, but there yeah, you go. Yeah,
5: yeah. Uh, Alex, it
1: was the same the truck driver. <laughs> and also, actually, now you, I didn't realise that scene was in there. I did have down that. I would like to understand Harvey Keitel's character a bit more. Sure. And that scene that you say was uh, shot but deleted mm. would have actually helped me. And I hope I'm not going to get into trouble for picking a scene based around a man. But
4: a scene I, that's not in the film.
0: Mm. <laughs> but
1: but I, I actually wrote down, before I knew that scene existed, because mm-hmm. I only found out during the show, I'd like to know a little bit more about Harvey Keitel and why he was the one who was so sympathetic mm-hmm. towards their situation more than anyone else appears to be on this, that side of the law. Sure. Yeah. Good shout. All right. Uh, that's the end of Thelma and Louise, Al. Is it? All mm. right, then. Right, so Thelma and Louise versus Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. It is time. For The Verdict. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth! be your film, so you got us through this. Okay. Mm. Um. Suitably appropriate.
4: <laughs> do I sound surprised? I always forget that that's how mm. we do it. Um. Why don't you go first then?
1: Uh, okay, these are both great films. I'm going to keep it really brief. These are both great films, but uh, for me, one is a masterpiece and the other is just a great film and that masterpiece is called Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. That's my vote.
3: Interesting. Um... Anna, you can go next. Well, considering that I'm not even a big fan of British Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, I think it has a lot of flaws. Then very clearly Thurman Louise, because I think it's one of the best movies ever made.
1: I think you should go next, Victoria, because we know which way you're going. And I think Chris is gonna have the deciding vote.
3: Okay, so obviously it's Thelma and Louise. Right.
4: And um, I will just I'll just talk you through it. We do between ourselves, and I think on this podcast, but we do definitely talk in the pub a lot about the mental gymnastics. That you do, that people identifying as female have to do to have the full out-of-body cinema experience, which we are well accustomed to, and is no problem. But the, the the relief to not have to do that this time, although it's not a big deal to do it, it's just nice to not have to do it to get the full cinematic experience, and that's why I love it as much as I do. Basically, because I don't have to do the the sort of jumps, you know, I don't have to put myself in a man's shoes to be the hero. Um, and also it's a really dark way of venting a lot of dark feelings, basically, and that's what cinema. I it's doing a lot of work for a film. There you go.
1: So that is two for Thelma and Louise, one for Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Christopher Tilly, you have the... Oh, well, actually, you can only take it to a draw, but let's hear what you've got.
5: Butch and Sundance is a beautiful film that explores the death not only of two legendary outlaws, but also of a time and place and lifestyle with the encroaching of the modern age. But it's about characters who don't change. They go on a beautiful journey, but it's very much through rose-tinted glasses, in my opinion. Thelma and Louise gives us a proper hero's journey And it's multi-layered and it's morally complex and women change and they grow until they're unrecognisable at the end. It's the kind of film that really, I think it changed people's perspectives and it changed the world a little bit. Um, Although it didn't change the film industry much, unfortunately, we didn't really get into that. But um, I think it's a brilliant film. And the fact that it doesn't stop for a five minute bike ride means... It's hundred um, percent. Yeah. So much as so I love Butcher Sundance, I'm going with Thelma Louise, Alex.
0: Wow! It's got to
5: be.
1: It's got to be. Yes. It doesn't have yes, to be, it, but it is. Yes, it does. But it is. It, does. it is. So it doesn't matter whether it has to be or not. It is. As far as the verdict goes this week, Thelma and Louise is our winner. Congratulations. I'm not, I don't have a problem with that. I like both films good so there we go it yep. would have been weird if you started explaining why you had a problem with it <laughs> <laughs> what Jesus. I would have had to switch off your mic yeah, yeah. you would, you would. that's why I don't that's <laughs> why I don't hey I mean because I love both films but you know I thought I thought I thought maybe Butch had a maybe chance maybe you took five minutes to explain
5: <laughs> it did it did because I thought I was going to vote Butch last week when I knew what the films were yeah
1: alright good stuff uh, so uh, just before we talk about next week's films uh, one final little memory reminder, mem- reminder a memory reminder a memory reminder uh, the London Podcast Festival is coming up in September. Uh, both Clash Pod and Girls on Film are going to be there. Uh, remind us when you're on, Anna? The 9th of September, Thursday 9th. night. 9th of September, Thursday night. And we are on the 4th of yep. September, the Saturday, Saturday the night. We're the late yeah. show. Yeah, we are. I've started calling us the headliners. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> That's good. Uh, so, yeah.
5: Uh, How the Duck and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, sorry.
1: <laughs> Don't apologise, never apologise. Oh, I can't wait, I can't wait. Uh, and on that note, How the Duck and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, let's look at next week's films, because uh, <laughs> I think we're carrying on a really a really highbrow theme uh, that we've got going on the show at the moment. Uh, so uh, the clue I gave you was what a helmet, no wonder the movie tanked on Tuesday. Monday. Uh, the movies we're doing, uh, Chris... From 1995, you have Sylvester Stallone's Judge Dredd. Thanks. <laughs> it's available to rent on Sky and maybe elsewhere, although I think I might have done as a, a, a bit of a misfortune because it looks like you have to buy it on most other platforms. It's 8 99 so maybe, you know, find another way to watch it. That's all I'll say. And Victoria, also from 1995. Uh, this is available to rent on Amazon. You'll be very pleased. I think you're a fan of this film. I oh, am. Yeah. Tank <laughs> like, Girl. Yep. Yes. All right.
0: Yeah. Uh, Later
1: uh, than Thelma and Louise, so actually cinema did change.
0: And, uh,
5: <laughs> uh, and I was going to say, because we we're recording this quite late in the week, I've, I've watched it. It's not that far off Thelma and Louise, but some of the themes go on in Tank Girl.
0: <laughs> it, it, it
5: really is like this. Uh,
1: we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it next mm. week. Did you want to turn his mic off? Or are you happy with that? That's all right. That's all right. Yeah, Good. All right. Brilliant stuff. So that is next week. Do your homework. Judge Dread versus Thelma and versus Tank Girl. That was, that was an honest mistake.
4: You can only tell one story with women in it. Okay.
1: <laughs> uh, if you haven't already, uh, please subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Clashboard. Anna Smith, thank you so much for being here. Have you had fun?
3: I've had a wonderful time.
1: Amazing news. We'll be back on Monday talking Tank Girl. Until then, bye bye.
3: This was a stack production
0: and part of the ACAST Creative Network.
2: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh